G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Sexologist and writer. Let's welcome Patricia. Hello, Patricia. Welcome to 2020. It's great to be with you, Neil. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I must say, Patricia, that uh, when we've had some earlier conversations, I've thoroughly enjoyed the way you approach this topic of sex because for some, it's a difficult one to talk about for whatever reason that might be, and we might get into some of those things. But let's talk about sex today and invite our listeners to be a part of our conversation. We'll, We'll get into some of those things in just a few moments about your book and about what we might be talking about. But let me just invite listeners to be a part of our conversation we'll open our talkback lines uh, just asking some questions that you might have a perspective on and some uh, questions that you know may be ticklish for you are christians typically prudish talking about god's word on sex Uh, you might have something to contribute Uh, how have you navigated talking about godly sexuality with your children and your teenagers? And what is the right balance between home, church and school for teaching kids about sex and relationships? You can be a part of our conversation. We'll open the talkback lines 1-800-880-876. Patricia, let me ask you about your new book. Uh, It's all about growing up by the book. Uh, Tell me about the book. What's it all about? Who's it for? And what's your inspiration? Like you said, Neil, initially the book came about because the book we wrote earlier, Teen Sex by the Book, had a 15 plus. And basically parents and school teachers and even young people were talking to me and saying, the horse has bolted by 15 years. So we needed to get to younger children, younger people. So this is why we wrote for what we would sometimes call the tween ages. You know, like early puberty. And remember, puberty ages are dropping. So initially, we were hoping we would get like 8 to 14, but we found it really difficult to sort of be able to cover the younger age and still be able to provide information relevant to 14-year-olds. So that's why the 10 to 14. So that was the genesis, so to say, of the book. So what we wanted to do where teen sex had basically dealt with sex for the teenagers. Here we wanted to concentrate more on the changes in the body and the brain and how this affects the identity. We call the chapter, Who Are You and Whose Are You? So that's what we did. And then we wanted to write on just topics that teen, that these teenagers would be concerned about. So we have a part two of the book, which is basically a set of terms that they would come across. So that's the structure of the book. Now, the book is designed, uh, you can correct me here, to put into the hands of your uh, pre-adolescent teens so that it's in a, a language. It's written mm-hmm. for that particular age group. You're talking about 10 to 14-year-olds. 
the ethos behind how we wrote the book, in other words, the sort of um, the persona of how we wrote it, was really about getting communication started between parents and children. So the book has, you know, as I said, what has God got to say about sex, body, brain, identity, glossary. But right through it, we have questions that teenagers and, or rather teenagers or early adolescents and can ask and discuss with their parents. For instance, in the first chapter on God and sex, we have Ask Mom and Dad. When you were growing up, what did you believe sex meant? Who did you talk to? Or what did you learn about at school or church or your parents? So we have these ask mom and dad questions. So what we want is for 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 parents to start the conversations, to start the conversations with the children and then continue it by then giving them the book and say, read it. So parents read it, start the conversation, give the kids the book, and then you can talk about these topics. Well, Patricia, today in our conversation, and we want to be able to take a little bit of time to unpack some of the issues here, Mm -hmm. Uh, the likelihood is those 10 to 14-year-olds are probably going to be at school, and uh, that might be a broad assumption, but uh, let's assume we're going to be talking to parents today about Mm -hmm. how our attitudes are when we've got teenagers or uh, when we talk about these pre-adolescent children who are growing into these teenage years and how our approach might be to how we might be able to share some of these things Mm -hmm. uh, that are real wisdom that overflows from you when it comes to this topic. Now, let me start with some really, really basic things about the parents' attitude to sex because if you're a a Christian, sometimes you're wondering about this uh, whole issue of sex. Is God down on sex or does God have an appreciation for sex? And, of course, simple understanding Christianly is that God created sex Tell me about how God sees sex to you. What a lovely question. Uh, I mean, what I tell people is, look, the Bible is not a sex book, but the Bible has a lot to say about sex. Because basically the Bible starts and ends with a marriage. Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, beautiful environment, flowers, cuddly animals, and a marriage. And in Revelation, Christ coming back to claim his bride. And in the middle of the Bible, we've got what we call the sealed section of the Bible, eight chapters of beautiful, erotic lovemaking between husband and wife. So the Bible has a lot to say about sex, but it is in the context of one man, one woman, monogamous, lifelong relationship. So the Bible says sex is powerful. It is my gift and a blessing for you and to you. But it is also purposeful. And this is my purpose, this one man, one woman relationship. Okay, so as a parent, Patricia, if you don't have a right attitude or understanding of godly sex, godly sexuality, then there's going to be difficulties because your children will pick up your values. So the adjustment sort of needs to be made in the hearts and minds of parents because their children will grow up under their uh, their guidance. 
a wonderful way to put it because the reality is we know today that sex is not just taught, but above all, it is caught. So what the parents say and do, not just about sex, but in everyday life, this is where children will learn what sexual integrity means. For instance, what are you as parents watching on television? If you're watching sex shows and erotica, look, even if you're watching something that is sort of super popular on pay TV like Game of Thrones or one of those shows, what are you endorsing by watching those shows? Your kids will pick up on this. What are you reading? If you're reading as a mother, especially if you're reading erotica of certain genres that is just very sexual, then your kids are going to pick this up. How are you talking about other people? How are you treating other people? Are you demonstrating to your children that non-sexual, intimate friendships are rich and beautiful. You don't have to be sexual to have a good, deep friendship. These things kids pick up from parents. And another very important thing that parents teach children is where is your identity? If the parents are placing their primary identity on career or their looks, or the clothes, or the home, or even on the children's achievements, rather than on Christ and Him crucified, then the kids will listen to the world, and the world will tell your kids that their identity lies in their sexuality, and that is what they will turn to. Patricia, I have the impression that many parents are flying blind. Uh, There are so many changes in our society, things are evolving so quickly, that sexuality is one of those things that has now blurred lines. Uh, Perhaps in earlier generations, the lines were more black and white, they were more clear, there was a godly understanding of sex, sex within marriage, but those those lines are now well and truly blurred, and uh, sexuality is almost out of control. How do you think parents should be approaching the fact that it's actually harder these days to talk about this with children? The first thing for parents to do is to be informed and to be knowledgeable of what their kids are facing, which is why we've written the book. And that is to be aware that your kids today are the most cyber-connected advertised to, socially aware, and sexualized generation who ever walked this planet. This is the reality. You cannot keep them ignorant. And information is just a click away on the Internet. If you don't teach them, they will get it from the Internet. The average age of porn exposure today is 11 to 12 years old, and that's average, which means there's younger kids exposed to pornography. You know, the rate of uh, mental illness in younger children, of body image disorders in 8 and 9-year-olds, these are things, self-harm in preteens. these are things we didn't see because the 
pressure on our children today, especially because of the cyber world and social media and the roles that they had been challenged to live up to is very high, much higher than their parents' teen days. And parents need to be aware of this and therefore start talking early and often and not be afraid to share values because the kids, your children, want to hear your values. They want to be taken to the Word of God, and only you can do it. The schools will not. Patricia, let's take a call from a listener. Damien is in Rockley in Brisbane. Uh, Hello, Damien. Damien, can you hear me? Damien, are you with us? Yes, yes, yes. Hello, Patricia, Neil. Damien, what's your uh, contribution to our conversation today? Look, my 11-year-old son is in the public school system, but uh, recently he had a a series of uh, sex education lessons, um, and he was quite uh, shocked at some of the language they used. And, uh, you know, especially, uh, you know, my wife and I thought this was quite derogatory towards female, and a lot of slang words were used. But they seem to put this in context of uh, getting children to talk more about uh, specific details and, and anatomy. Um, but, you know, it was, to me, it was very shocking and very derogatory towards a young girl. And, and certainly, you know, my young girls will be going through the same program in a few years. And I was just concerned about the effect it will have on, on the girls and, and their sexuality when they hear these, um, you know, these, this language. Patricia, spoken. what are your thoughts on Damien's uh, comments? That's a a very good point to bring up about sex education and schools. But let me just underpin these comments by saying that we need to understand that when sex education is provided by schools, they they deliberately say that it is valueless. You know, it has not got a value base underlying Mm. it. So there... The premise on which sex education is run in schools is teach the kids the plumbing, the genitals, and Mm. teach them, you know, how to understand their genitals. So in the process, there is no value base. So it's about, okay, so understand the genitals. So what have you heard it called? So, you know, kids are then encouraged to just use any word. And, of course, if, you, if you're not working on a value base on the preciousness of the genitals or how special it is. I mean, look, because as Christians, we go and say your body is the temple of the Lord. Those parts mm. of your body that are, you know, seem to be something you cover up is actually the more honorable bits. And so when you don't have an underlying ethos of understanding the preciousness, then it is about that open slather of anything goes. So that is one thing. The other thing is that in secular sex education, it is about individual pleasure and sexual rights. So nobody has a right to have the opinion to say what you are doing is right or wrong. It is what pleasures you And that is your right. So to use what words you want to is your right. So unfortunately, this is secular sex education, which is why we tell parents, you've got to sensitize your children early 
And I'm really thrilled that your son came and talked to you, because that to me is the most exciting thing, that an 11-year-old who feels uncomfortable about anything that is happening, be it in school or in the playground, is comfortable enough to come and talk to a parent. That, you know, you need to be so congratulated that you've kept that communication channel open. But unfortunately... That is what secular sex education provides. Damien, how does that uh, answer res- uh, meet the question that you're asking? I suspect that's probably a good answer. Oh, Patricia, I'm just blown away. The one word that I, I really that you've highlighted is preciousness, and, and certainly we've reinforced that with my son mm. and and with my daughters. And you know, they're a younger age, obviously, mm. but you know, really reinforce the preciousness of, of mm. this wonderful, beautiful gift they've been given. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, as you said, I guess it's a worldview uh, mm. rather than a Christian worldview um, and, and or secular worldview rather than a Christian worldview in the way you teach these things as well. So, But, no, that's, uh, yeah, we, we just keep on reinforcing the preciousness of it and uh, hopefully they can bring that dialogue as well into these arguments and, and other children around them can see that there is preciousness in that. Mm. Damien, while you're with us, if I ask Patricia about using the terminology that describes uh, genitals, and of course there are, you know, there are uh, normal uh, language use terms that we describe genitals. Uh, when we are talking about our, uh, our, you know, about uh, understanding puberty, sex, and relationships with our children, how young to start using mm-hmm. the right terminology so that when these other slang terms yeah. come in, uh, that it, uh, that mm-hmm. our kids have got it right at the early start. Mm-hmm. I, I, would, I tell parents that today you have to start teaching the right words for their body, including the genitals, when they are four and five. In other words, play group, even before they get to primary school, because they're going to hear the slang words soon. And I'll tell you for a moment, in a moment, why this is so important. So we, we teach our children that they, the girls and boys, that girls have vulvas and vaginas and boys have penises. But that's important because otherwise they're going to hear the slang words and think that is what is the correct word. Now, we say teach this really young, but couch it in terms of this, is, this part of your body is particularly important and precious because God gave it to you for the special job of making babies, which is something that is God's gift and blessing to all of us. Now, That's part of it. The other very important thing, which kind of ties in with what Damien was saying about the words that are used, is what I said earlier, and that is pornography is now being shown to our kids in primary school, not by the school, but by other kids in the playground. And we are seeing primary school kids as young as seven and eight coming home and talking to their parents or just not talking but being traumatized by some other kid showing them pornography on a mobile phone and this is what we are seeing so when you are exposed to pornography you pick up pornographic words and as you said Damien that is the most derogatory and demeaning thing that can be done and said about a woman and those are the words they would pick up from pornography Damien, you said you've got uh, some daughters who are younger and coming up. Uh, are you inspired to have some conversations with them along these sorts of lines? Yeah, 
absolutely, Neil. It's uh, you know certainly the, the whole preciousness of it, and they need to bring up an argument and, and be prepared with an argument for uh, their preciousness. Because again, when they're taught in these lessons that uh, you know it's just a part of, of normal functionality and, and uh, in the secular worldview, mm-hmm. and, and that there's no real preciousness about it. Um, I think they need to make a stand, and, and for even especially for the children who are, are ignorant of the preciousness of it or, or just don't know, haven't been taught of the preciousness of it, uh, I think it's good to open up dialogue with them and, and get them thinking about it as well. Okay, well, um, Damien, just great having you as part of 2020 today. Thanks so much for your input and uh, appreciate your call. A PG-rated edition of 2020 today. We're talking about helping teenagers understand puberty, sex and relationships. And uh, on uh, Patricia Wirakun's latest book, which is called Growing Up by the Book, Patricia says, Puberty, it's an exciting time. You're not a child, but you're not an adult either. Your body is changing. Breasts, curves and periods. Deepening voices, broadening shoulders and wet dreams and hair in some quite strange places. Uh, Interesting way to describe the time of puberty, age 10 to 14 years, Patricia. Uh, What is going on in the mind, in the brain of a a teenager in this age group, uh, age 10 to 14? It's, it's a fascinating question, mainly because the developing brain at puberty is a fascinating organ. I mean, I know, I know it's such a medical thing to be fascinated with the brain, but the reality is that the youth brain at that age is what we call it a, a work in progress. In other words, connections are being made and remade. It's like the wiring of some kind of complex, electrical circuit and we call it a process called pruning the bits that you use are kept and the bits that you don't use the wiring the connections you don't use are lost so there's two parts of the brain that undergo significant changes the first one is the part of the brain that is involved in risk-taking and emotions and in sexuality with the emotional brain. This, in the book, we call the volcano brain because basically it erupts at puberty. So, you know, those of you who got this sort of pubertal preteen kids, remember, you know, this kind of emotional, hormonal ball? You know, I love you, Mom, get out of my face, you know, changing emotions, the wanting to be independent, develop an identity, and the developing sexuality. That erupts early in, in puberty. Now, the second part of the brain, the part that is involved in making decisions and choices, I call the wet rag. This develops very much slower. In fact, doesn't mature till the mid-20s. So, during these developing preteen, teen years, when a young person is faced with making a decision, the risk-taking emotional brain overrides the, the kind of control decision-making. So this is why they're so impulsive. And this is also why teenagers need support and rules and help from parents, teachers, youth leaders. We need to accept that. So that's a very important point. 
the young brain, the developing brain needs help in decision making. The second important thing about the developing brain is that we now know that everything that goes into this brain at this time, every thing that is spoken, every television show, everything they read, everything they get on internet is going to influence the wiring, the value-based, the behavioral selections. So how the brain is wired for life is going to be affected, but what goes into the brain. This is why it is, you know, we talk of kids being impressionable. What we are really talking about is the laying down of the wiring of their brain. It's very important. So parents, do you know what your kids are watching, what they are reading, their peer group, the friends they're with? Very important. They're going towards believing what their friends say. Do you know who their friends are, what they are watching? Who are their role models? Is it a pop star or some kind of crazy sportsman, sportswoman behavior? You need to know these things because this is what is wiring your brain, the brain of your children. I tell teenagers, you've got just one brain, you know, look after it. <laughs> Patricia, coming from a different culture and uh, mm-hmm. you loving your homeland of yes. Sri Lanka, well, you'll appreciate the, the idea that some cultures... Uh, around the world. Mm-hmm. They've tried to deal with this uh, over many centuries uh, by actually locking up their teenagers, and particularly mm-hmm. daughters. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, but that's not the way we do things in Australia. We don't lock our children up uh, to get them through that time and not let those influences in on their lives. What ought we be doing then as parents who have children who are in the playground, mixing with friends, watching television, movies, access to the internet... Uh, all of these things are the sorts of things that kids are, as you say, being shaped by. Mm-hmm. Firstly, let me talk about, you know, locking up the kids, because that, even in sex education, it has been tried, even if it's not locking up, but sex education programs that were basically based around abstinence only. In other words, the education program didn't teach anything other than just don't do it. Of course, we now know that those programs didn't work because kids, you know, just didn't have sexual intercourse, but they had other forms of sex and, um, you know, oral sex and other forms of sex, which then really negated the purpose of what they were trying to be taught. It didn't work. So abstinence-only, don't-do-it programs have been shown to not work. So what should we be doing? What we now recommend is start early, talk early, talk often, use teachable moments. And I'll come back to what that means. But above everything, teach them values. And as Christians, take them clearly to the Word of God from the time they are very, very young. Take them to the Word of God, share the Word of God with them, and above all, demonstrate it in your life. And start early. Start very, very early. Now, our book is written, obviously, from a Christian perspective, but for 10 or 9-year-olds plus. But there are other good books in a Kurong or any Christian publication written for younger kids. So get books. Talk to them. Now, what do I mean by teachable moments? 
as a parent, watch for moments on television, in the news, just watch for anything that you can start a conversation on. So what do you think about this um, story that we've just watched? Or you're watching television and something comes up, you know, a child, a little girl who has got two moms or two dads or something, open the conversation about what is marriage. Open the conversation. Don't be afraid. That's the first thing. Look for teachable moments. The other thing is, once you've kept the communication channels open and started talking about, you know, the teachable moments, talking about things, preempt, be proactive in the fact that when they go to school, even primary school, they are going to be exposed to especially pornography. So be proactive. Tell your children. I tell parents a three-pointer of how to get your kid to resist pornography. Firstly, just tell your your primary school kid. Tell them, look, you know, if you see something of people naked people or people doing something kind of that makes you feel uncomfortable, well, firstly, name it and shame it. This is how I say, you know, tell the kids to say, this is not a good thing. This is not helpful to me. I mean, if they're comfortable, this is ungodly. So name it and shame it. Second step, put the device off. So if you are, if the child is Googling something, you know, information, and comes across a site which has new people, people doing things, put the device off because sometimes these sites would cycle into another site. So put the device off. Third step, talk to a parent or a teacher. Pornographic images stay in the mind. It's like picking a little photograph or a little clip and sticking it in the brain. And kids need to debrief and discuss it with someone. Very important. So I tell people, tell parents, just get your kids ready to stand this porn pressure. And don't be afraid to do it. You're not going to make them want to do something just because you tell them. That's a myth. It's a myth to say that just because we teach children about contraceptives, they're going to run out and buy it, or we teach them about any form of sex, they're going to try it. No. The research tells us that information is actually a preventative to that early sexualization. Oh, the research also says that children who talk to their parents put off having sex. Okay. Well, we're inviting you to be a part of our conversation today. Our talkback line open 1-800-880-876 if you'd like to be part of this conversation. We're talking about helping teens understand puberty, sex and relationships. How have you navigated talking about godly sexuality with your children and teenagers? You might have a comment to make. You might have a question to ask. Our talkback line open on 1-800-880-876. Dr. Patricia Weirich. Kuhn, our guest, 25 years, a Christian sex therapist. Her new book is called Growing Up by the Book, aimed at 10 to 14-year-olds. So we're talking about that pre-adolescent age group, 10 to 14. 1-800-880-876 to be part of our conversation. Back with more in just a few moments. 
Well, we've discovered that you're so far ahead of the game if you have a godly, Christian, biblical approach to sex and your pre-adolescence coming into teenage years. And wonderful to be able to talk about this topic today. Dr. Patricia Wirakun, 25 years, a Christian sex therapist. Uh, We're talking about sex. We're talking about families. We are potentially talking about your family. And uh, certainly today we've heard some very, very powerful things about if you are a godly Christian parent and you are interested in the values of your children, if you see them as so precious and their sexuality is precious, you'll set them on a fabulous path. For those parents who are secular, who are non-God-based, don't acknowledge the Bible, their children are being exposed to a secularism that is coloring the way that they are looking at sex. Patricia Wirakun, let me ask you about some of the myths that there are about in the community today. What are the biggest ones that, uh, that are about children and sex and, uh, and families? Uh, thank you for bringing that up because I really want to talk about a couple of very important things and look at the world view and God's view and underpin it with science. Just a couple of things. One is the whole concept of what is sexual desire. You know, the science tells us that sexual desire is driven by a hormone called testosterone. We may think that's a male hormone, but in actual fact, in both men and women, it is testosterone together with other chemicals in our brain. And this starts erupting at puberty in that volcano brain thing. So what have we got? We've got a sexual desire, which is like saying, I want sex, a want. Now, Now, just stay with that word want and look at the world view. Our kids are fed the myth that sexual desire is a need that must be fed. So it is an irrepressible need and it is an individual right to have this need met. So in other words, if you want homosexual sex or heterosexual sex or bisex or any form of sex, it is your right to have this need met. That's the myth our kids are fed. That's everybody. You know, adults, we look around and we see the same thing about sex. Desire. You desire something, you have a right to get what you desire. It's fascinating. When it comes to food... I desire ice cream, but I can't eat it from the moment I get up to the moment I go to bed. If I eat everything I want and I get obese, I would be on, I don't know, biggest loser program of television or something. (laughs) But when it comes to sex, I must have what I need the moment I need it. That is a myth we must meet in our children and teach them early that the Bible, God's Word says, That sexual desire is a powerful tool, but it is a gift and a blessing from a good God. We only have to read Song of Songs, which glorifies sexual desire, but three times say, Be careful, O daughters of Jerusalem, not to awaken desire before the right time. It is a powerful thing, so don't awaken it too early. And our kids need to learn this. It is not a need. 
it is a want that can be controlled. We are not bonobo monkeys or chimpanzees. We are created in the image of God, created for relationships, not necessarily sexual relationships. And we need to differentiate that. Good friendships, but sex is this, as we have called it through the program, precious gift to be used in a particular situation. That is what naked and no shame means. A naked relationship of total vulnerability and intimacy in a total trusting, no shame relationship. And parents, those of you who are listening, unashamedly confront the difference between worldview, secular worldview of desire and God's view of desire. That's the first thing. The second thing is this whole concept of romantic love. I love you, therefore, you know, I want to have sex with you. You know, love is powerful. The chemistry is a a chemical called dopamine, which I love because it makes you dopey, and it's sprayed (laughs) all over your brain, and it makes you want a person in your life. That's chemistry. But the world, secular worldview says, I love you, really is about, I love what you do for me, and therefore I want to have sex with you. But God's plan for love is so much bigger. It is Christ and the church. It is the love of someone who gave his life for you. And that is the love. That is the action of loving and honoring the other. It's important for our children to know this, that when they're dating, when they're going out with someone, what is it about? Is it a love that wants to honor you and build you up? Or is it the secular love that says, I want your body? That's a myth we need to meet too. Patricia, we live in a society that is driven by consumerist attitudes, Mm -hmm. Uh, people who are very clever in marketing departments and advertising gurus that uh, know how to manipulate us. There is a sense, isn't there, as a Christian, if you recognise that the choice is uh, get the values right, godly values, according to the book, by the book, the Bible, uh, or uh, might as well just sort of, uh, if you sweep the, the Bible away, you're just saying, I'm going to let the parent of my child, I'm going to let my parent, in fact, when it comes to my sexual values, uh, be dominated by marketing forces, uh, mm-hmm. by, uh, by minorities that are pushing an agenda about their own sexualities. Uh, these sorts of things, it's a, quite a, a, it's quite a, a, a stark choice. You've either got black or white. Either you're raising your children in a godly way or you're leaving it to the marketing gurus. There is no middle way. We either teach our children the God's way and to do that we need to know it and believe it for ourselves and therefore this is why so many churches today are running teen groups where they're encouraging them to discuss their values in sexuality. Conferences like media conferences, um, Katoomba youth conferences, all talking to teenagers. And I must say, these are wonderful young people I meet, young people who truly want to be countercultural and stand up for God and the views of the Bible. It's exciting. It's exciting to be with teenagers today. They're wise, they're they're full of knowledge, they're full of energy, but we as their parents, their youth leaders, need to 
enhance this energy and use it for the glory of God. Let me ask you, Patricia, about the role of a local church and as you start to talk about youth groups and this particular age group between 10 and 14, an impressionable age at Mm -hmm. a time when young people are making big decisions about their lives, how important is it for families to find an appropriate and really good youth group so that their children can help be shaped by those other leaders with, with those sorts of good values we've been talking about? Extremely important. I mean, I would encourage any parent listening here. I mean, sometimes, you know, you may really want to talk to your kids, but let's face it, sometimes kids just don't want to come and talk to mom and dad about sex. So you've got to find two things. One, try and find a local church that is truly Bible teaching. Now, you wouldn't know that till you actually go to church and get to know people and listen to the teaching. So do it. Go to a church, find a church, listen to the teaching, talk to their youth workers, and start sending your kids to be involved in the church. That's really, really important. But also, find someone else, you know, like an auntie, a, you know, a cousin, someone you trust who can be that other person whom your child can turn to. You know, a child who doesn't want to come to you and say, you know, I heard this or I watched porn and, you know, something happened, can go to that person. So find a person who's really you trust, who can walk with your child and find a church youth group. But And also, finally, I really have to say this. You know, whatever you do, we live in a broken sad world and whatever we do however we pray our children bring them up sometimes things go wrong so as a parent just always be there and let your children know that you are there to pick up the pieces well patricia it is just fabulous uh, hearing your heartbeat on these issues and uh, I know that there will be people who've listened to our conversation from start to finish and will be enlightened on a whole lot of areas and particularly valuable for parents of children who are coming into uh, those pre-adolescent years. I'll point people to your book. It's called Growing Up by the Book. This is the one that's aimed at 10 to 14-year-olds. Dr. Patricia Weeracoon, and you'll be able to get her book from all good bookstores. Uh, Patricia, wonderful talking. Thanks so much for being with us on 2020. Thank you. We all need a shot of encouragement to keep us going. A new beginning with Greg Laurie is... Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.